Okay, I'm reading from Isaiah 35. It's headed up, Joy of the Redeemed. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The, joy, the glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then with the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like the deer and a tongue of the dumb shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sands will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of the holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in the way, in that, in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Amen. Now, those verses we have just uh, read are set in the desert wilderness, which was a very familiar setting, of course, in the Bible's world of the, the arid regions of the Middle East. Um, and in fact, ancient Israel's journey of freedom began with them traveling through the desert wilderness, through much adversity, uh, out of slavery and into a land of fruitfulness and new life that God led them to. And that journey was a journey that taught them a lot about themselves and God and what life should be. And so for the generations that followed, um, actually that original journey through the wilderness became emblematic of life's journey for each and every one of us. Uh, as we all journey on, sometimes through struggle, but hopefully in faith, listening to God and learning from God as we too follow him into the blessings of his grace. So when Isaiah wrote this passage in the 8th century BC, the people were not living in an actual desert at that time. But the, the sort of dry and barren heat and harshness of the desert was a picture of the troubles that they had indeed found themselves in at that time. They were a people who had too often forgotten the God who had led them, and it meant they'd ended up back in a, a kind of desert again. Uh, their leaders, we, we know, had become very corrupt and the people had experienced much suffering because of that. Both the political leaders, we might say, and religious leaders, if we can put it like that. And the people had suffered. And now all of it was threatened by war, surrounded as they were at that time by the armies of various different empires 
and there they were caught in the middle. And that would soon result, of course, in going away into exile. They were taken away from their home and they basically became slaves all over again. So it was a really scary time. It was a painful time. It was a very unjust time for most people. And it was indeed like going through another wilderness. But of course, we all experience wildernesses in life, times when we too are afraid or confused or we're hurting or we feel lost. And the world as a whole also knows what it is to feel that, to feel, if you like, the scorching heat, the dryness, the thirst of things not being as they really should in the world. And Advent actually reminds us that we do indeed still long and strain and hope for something better, for freedom, if you like, for, for waters to come and fill the desert, because we long for life in its fullness. And each and every year, Advent speaks into that reality again, and it speaks into it a word from God, a God who's led people through the desert before, remember, and he can therefore be trusted to lead us and to lead you today. And so Isaiah, the, who was a poet and a prophet, began to speak about the desert being filled with rivers and streams and pools of water welling up. He spoke of it blossoming with flowers and reeds and grass and rushes. And God speaks actually that same kind of hope into our lives today because he talks to us as well about salvation and about water of life and about change and new beginnings and new fruit coming to, the, to our lives. He says to us now, God says, that all of those things flow to us from what he has done and is doing through Jesus Christ, his son. So to understand this picture Isaiah has of this desert, think about the impact that a, that a real desert has on life. For life to flourish, of course, there must be water, but there is very little to no water in the desert. And so life struggles to survive there. It's drained of its strength, its life is diminished, it's fragile, it's threatened. In fact, the desert in many ways is more defined by death than life. So translate that into our lives and our world. And sometimes we and the world feel in, in the grip of death because the desert becomes a picture of everything that takes away life or hinders life. Uh, the fullness of life that God actually intends for us and for the world. The desert is wherever people's experience is such that life feels diminished in some way or threatened or fragile or like, it, like life in its fullness is actually being taken away or drained from us. And so we are thirsty. We feel exhausted, perhaps crushed by the heat of things like, like we're in the desert. Uh, in verses three and four of Isaiah 35, uh, he, the, the prophet says that the inhabitants of the, the desert wilderness are those who have weakened hands, buckled knees because of everything, and fearful hearts. Now, in Isaiah's own day, he says it was often people like those he mentions in verses 5 and 6 who, who bore the brunt of the pain in his day, the blind, the deaf, the lame, the mute, uh, in at that time, they were among the most marginalized, vulnerable, disadvantaged people 
of, of Isaiah's day. They were cut off, they were devalued, and they were often the first to suffer when other people messed things up. And they had very little hope of relief. Remember, this was a time in Isaiah's day when there was no, no help came from those in power who should perhaps have been helping. In fact, the people in power seemed to only make things worse for the people who found themselves in a mess and in difficulty. But although nobody else seemed to ever speak up for these suffering people he mentions, the prophet Isaiah does speak for them because God does. And today, I think, you know, the cries of the most vulnerable, the most needy, the most disadvantaged in our own world today, those, those cries are still with us, seen as an inconvenience, perhaps, even sometimes blamed. People uh, blame those who are most vulnerable. It, in that sense, it is still Advent. There is still a longing for waters to come and restore what life should be in the world. But thankfully, it is also still a time where the voice of God is heard, a voice calling in the wilderness, a voice that should be heard, I believe, today should be heard speaking from God's church, his people. We, we as a church today in speaking God's hope and God's challenge to the world, doesn't it? Hope. But it's, I think it's important to remember that hope is not just a feeling and we must never reduce hope to just a nice warm feeling that we sometimes experience. Hope, here in Isaiah, hope came to the desert as a voice promising change. Centuries later, of the most neglected ones in their day, a poor family, we see that repeatedly, don't we, in the Christmas story, they were pushed around, told where to go, and they were unwanted. No one had room for them. But it was to Mary that God sent his angel, telling her that the child that she bore would be the son of God, Jesus, the savior of the world. Now, how did Mary envisage that hope-filled message? Well, in different ways, if you, was that this child from God would change the whole concept of power in such a profound way that what had been on top would be brought down and what had up, my soul glorifies savior, for he has been mindful of scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. You know, they think they're all lit. But he has lifted up the humble and has filled the hungry with good things. So in, in hope, Mary saw a world where God would change things so that injustice and oppression would be replaced by a different kind of rule, the rule of Jesus Christ and his kingdom, a kingdom of mercy and truth and redemption and peace. So hope is about change. It's about, for example, as we've said, it's about restoring dignity to those who've been devalued or oppressed or forgotten, transforming the desert into a garden, as Isaiah pictured it, flowers and reeds and rushes growing. It, what's that picture he's giving there of, of the desert becoming a flourishing garden? It's a picture of restoring life to our own world and to our own lives as we learn what it means that God is a saviour who loves us, saves us, and changes us as a people. Uh, when a friend of ours died uh, a few years ago now, um, his son, who's another friend of mine, his son was sorting through his father's things in Minehead, and um, he gave me a framed picture with a Bible verse on it, which could be a good thing, <laughs> 
and somebody says, oh, I've got a lovely framed Bible verse for you. You know, it could be a good thing or it could be one of those really cringeworthy ones with a soppy picture on. I'm not keen on those ones. But thankfully, it was a, it was a really, it was just an ordinary picture of a tree surrounded by long grass. And I tried to find it and I don't know where I put it when we moved because I wanted to put it on the front there, but I couldn't find it. It's just a picture of a tree in, in some long grass. And the Bible quote was simply this from Genesis 2. And the Lord God planted a garden. And that's what it said. And I really loved that. Uh, because in just a few simple words, the Lord God planted a garden. I think that says so much about God and, and allows your imagination to actually apply that to so many aspects of life. You know, that God is a God who gets down on his knees to work and plant and tend a garden so that something more alive and more fruitful comes out of what would otherwise, if it was left, just become overgrown with weeds, perhaps, or perhaps even like a wilderness. But God comes and plants a garden. And that's exactly what Isaiah says here, too. So for us, if we say we believe in a God of hope, that is to believe in a God who plants and waters and and, and grows new things into the wilderness, exactly what Isaiah said. A God who actually can and does do things in the world. Because into our time of Advent today comes the news of the birth of Jesus Christ and his cross where he died for us and his resurrection and the unique way of his kingdom today that is now here. Your kingdom come, we pray. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. To, to have hope as Christians means we believe God is making a real difference. In just the same way here in our passage into Isaiah's wilderness came the good news in verse 1. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. I love, I love the time of year when crocuses come up. And, you know, it's one of the first signs of that spring. And there they are. And all of a sudden, there's just this carpet of color. And it's beautiful. That's what God's like. That's what he can do. Verse 5 says, you remember those neglected people? Well, verse 5, then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue will shout for joy. Verse 6, water will gush forth in the desert and streams in the wilderness. The burning sand will become a pool. Go for a swim. The thirsty ground will be bubbling up with springs of mineral water, he says. In the haunts where the jackals once lay, you know, the predators who waited to pounce on the vulnerable, instead of that, grass and reeds and rushes will grow. And why is this? Because verse four says, your God will come. He will come and save you. Verse two, because we're gonna see the glory of God, the splendor of our Lord, a savior was coming and it was God himself. Now we are all needy in some way. We all need our eyes opened, our bodies healed, our sins forgiven, our hearts made new, our hopes restored, all of us. And our longing for salvation is met with something concrete. Christianity is not just a nice feeling on a Sunday. It is concrete. God's word of hope in verse four 
He will come to save you. He's actually going to arrive. He's actually doing something. Not from a distance. Here, that's Advent. And that's our journey of faith. Well, that's what we believe now, isn't it? That the desert is being transformed by the presence of Christ as he is here with us, leading us onwards. And the question is, will we allow him to, to teach us? Are we going to let, you know, when we say we follow Christ, what that implies, one thing that implies is that as we journey on, we will let him teach us and change us so that we too, like that garden, become more fruitful. He, he knows best. He's the gardener. He knows what needs trimming, what needs encouraging, what needs feeding. So we need to listen, but not just listen, but, but say, actually, God, yes, I'm willing to listen so that you can change me and make things new. And what Isaiah sees next is, is just, I think, a wonderful picture because he sees a road appearing in the desert. And that is just what you need if you're lost in a desert. If you're surrounded by nothing but sand, no sense of direction, no water, what you need is a road to show you the way home, to lead you out of the desert back to life. For Isaiah and his contemporaries in the 8th century BC, that meant a road back to Zion, to Jerusalem, to their home, but to God, because that was what Jerusalem represented for them. So when they were taken captives into Babylon soon after this, they could take these words with them. Verse 8, don't fear, God says, do not fear, a highway will appear in your desert. A highway, a road will be there and it will be called the holy way. The unclean will not pass over it. It will be for those who walk in that way. And not even a fool shall go astray. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast will come up on it. They shall not be found there. Only the redeemed will walk there and the ransomed of the Lord will return home. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Of course, we think at Advent about another prophet in Matthew 11 called John the Baptist. And Isaiah actually talked about John the Baptist. He described John, who was many centuries ahead of Isaiah, but he said it would be a voice of one calling in the desert prepare the way and that word, word way means a road prepare the road of the lord make straight in the wilderness john said a highway for our god the glory of god will be revealed and all mankind together will see it that's isaiah 40 and john the baptist is quoting it and it's the same image of a road suddenly appearing in the desert so that we know which way to go in to restore to go back to life and, and John said, the world's going to see it, not just some of you, the whole world, all mankind's going to see this road to life appear. And, and they're going to see that this is something God has done and it's glorious. And the New Testament Gospels tell us that John was the voice in the desert that Isaiah saw, calling to the world, a highway of God is now here because Jesus Christ has come. God's water is now flowing into the desert with Jesus. His garden is being planted and it's sprouting up. His highway is built and it's now opening up for us all. And so as, as Matthew 11 continues, um, uh, we read of Jesus opening eyes, healing the lame, restoring the ears of 
the deaf, proclaiming good news to the poor, it says, even raising the dead. So those were the very things, remember, that Isaiah spoke of in this chapter, and Jesus comes and does them and more. Now, what that means is that to see Jesus at work in your life and in this world today is to see that highway of the Lord in the desert. It's appeared and it's changing things. And it's almost like as we journey along, there's just new growth sprouting up alongside this road of God. I, I think that's, that's the way I see it in my mind. That's us. We're on that journey of faith if we follow Christ. And God is making things new. And ultimately, Advent means that we are living towards the day when Jesus will return again. It's like we're traveling towards that final city, the new Jerusalem, out of the desert into the eternal blessings of God. In John 14, Jesus used this phrase. He described himself as the way. Same image as, as Isaiah used. I am the way, Jesus said, and the truth and the life. He is the road in the desert that leads you to life. The one who's able to heal your hurts, restore you where you feel broken, take away your sin because he's carried it all at the cross for you. He's able to bring us the true fullness of life that God means us to know, even physically will raise us one day into new life. And so in the book of Acts, well, I'm kind of making my way through the Bible here, in the book of Acts, the followers of Jesus are quite often called followers of the way. The way means a road. That's the language of Isaiah again. To be a Christian is to be on that path, that way. To follow Jesus is to be among those travelers that Isaiah spoke of on the highway of God, which leads towards life, towards God's future, where there is gladness and joy and healing and safety, where there is life overflowing. So Jesus is the way out of our various deserts today as well. Whatever your particular desert may, may be, Jesus is the way into his water of life because he is the Lord himself who came to save us. So here we are. We are God's church in the world. We are the followers of Jesus and we share this good news. God is our savior. Christ has died and risen again for us. He is the way, the truth and the life. And we are, I hope our message for this year is, as, as, as it should be every year, come and join us, we say to everyone. Come and join us on that journey, on the way, the, the highway of God towards life. See how, let's say to others and show to others with our lives how it transforms the desert into a garden. Let's live that truth as we journey on in faith. And if you are, if this is a difficult time for you, Remember what Isaiah said, strengthen the weak hands, take courage, steady the feeble knees, say to those with fearful hearts, do not be afraid. Your God will and indeed has come. And having heard that gospel for ourselves, let's get up off the scorching hand, sand and let's join all the others throughout the years who've stepped onto that road of faith, following Jesus over the years, and here we are today, and let's keep on that road, because Advent reminds us that we are headed somewhere good, and that Jesus Christ will bring us there. Amen. Let, let's just have a moment of quiet.
encourage you just to bring to God those parts of your life that feel a bit dry and desert-like. Bring them to God and ask that he will bring that healing and that new life there. Then think of the world as a whole. Think of the news that we hear or see on our screens. Think of the areas of the world that are metaphorically like a desert where life is being diminished, snatched away, dried up. Let's ask God that into those places in the world, his new life, his real change will come, just as it did to that young Mary, who finally had some hope that the child born, Jesus, would actually make a difference. So, Lord God, we thank you that you are the God of life and that your spirit is always at work. Even when we can't see it, he is at work. He is planting. He is watering. Sometimes there are things under the surface, like when we don't see the crocuses yet sprouting, but you're doing stuff already. And then suddenly we see it in its color. Lord, we pray that you would keep doing that work in us and in this world, and in this village, and in this part of the world in which we live. We pray you'd use us as a church, send us in whatever way you see fit. Use this body of people who are following Christ. Use us to share hope, to share Jesus with those around us. Lord, we pray that as we celebrate the coming of Christ, that we would both believe that he is our saviour and believe indeed that in this coming year he will indeed keep planting and watering and transforming the dryness into life. And in his name we pray and give you thanks. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to close with a song that's new to me, but I understand, I think, Perhaps Laurie introduced you to some of these. This is part of, uh, I think, a whole set of songs that Graham Kendrick wrote for Christmas time called The Gift. And the one we're going to sing is Good News, Good News to All the World. To, the, to you we bring.